and we're going to look at the fourth most common response, which was this, you can't fix it. You can't fix it. Here's, here, let me quote some of the responses that we receive from people. Start all over again. Scrunch it up and start again. Nothing we can do. The world is rotten. There's no hope for the future. Create a new one. This one is a lost cause. Well, if you weren't feeling depressed already, you might be starting to feel a bit more depressed with those responses. Uh, the truth is that there are some problems that we can seek to address and change. Um, it, it's been uh, exciting to see sort of the growth, perhaps, of social enterprise in Scotland, working along char charities like Bethany, seeking to deal with problems of homelessness in the city. And if we were to compare living conditions today, say, to 200 years ago, then we'd have to say that there's been very great improvements in health, in education, in housing, and in reducing poverty. And yet, in this time of relative prosperity, there are problems that seem to be intractable. Uh, anxiety, depression, addictions, relational breakdown, abusive relationships, suicide, and worldwide, and even in our own nation, we see ongoing problems of terrorism, civil wars, poverty, famine, climate change, the threat of nuclear war, and these get compounded with, with hurricanes and, and flooding. And so people shrug their shoulders and they say, well, you know, there's problems in this world, it, it just can't be fixed. Now, what does God have to say to us in the Bible? Well, let me just sketch out an answer, and then I want us to look at a few Bible passages together. Here's the, here's the sketched out answer. Number one, the Bible agrees we can't fix it. Because there's a fundamental problem that we are all broken because of our sinfulness. And that's intimately linked with why this world is broken and why we can't fix it. We're broken and so we can't fix it. But the second part to this is that God has a plan where it will be fixed all through his son Jesus whose death and resurrection will fix us and will fix the world. That's kind of the outline of, of, of the answer. And I want us to turn to uh, uh, Romans chapter 8 in the Bibles. Um, you'll find this on page 1135 uh, if you have one of the church Bibles, page 1135. I'm going to focus in really on about uh, three verses, but I want to read it in context. So I'm going to read from Romans chapter 8, verse 17, uh, page 1135. Romans chapter 8, I'm going to read from verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits 
in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. This is God's word. I want to focus really in on um, three verses, verses 20 to 22. And they describe the past, the present, and the future for creation. And if you have a short attention span, or you were late up last night at some student event, I want to give you three words to anchor this talk. Um, Frustration, that's the past. Liberation, the future, and the present, groaning, right? Frustration, past. Liberation, future, present, groaning. So, Look at verse 20 again and see what it says about the present state of creation. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. That word frustration is a great one-word summary of our experience of living in this world. In a sense, it could be the one word that is the great description of life as we experience it and how it's described in the book of Ecclesiastes that was read to us earlier. Why don't you keep your finger in Romans chapter 8 and turn back to the book of Ecclesiastes. And we see in in verse 2, the words of the teacher. This is how he looks at life and describes what life is like under the sun. Uh, From our limited human perspective, this is what life looks like. And he says this, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun. That's the question he asks. What do people get for all their business? You know, Monday morning, alarm's going to go off. Everyone's going to be rushing about this city, rushing to work, rushing about. 
And what do we gain from all this toil, from all this labor? Well, uh, we don't have time to kind of work on this, but in headings, this is what he says, there's no gain. There's no gain for all this toil. There's just, there's just endless repetition. He talks about the sun. You know, the sun does is a magnificent journey across the heavens. And guess what? Tomorrow it's just going to do exactly the same journey. Round and round and round it goes, never resting. Or the wind. Well, the wind sort of goes from north to south and south to north. It never seems to stop. It just keeps going round and round and round. Endless repetition. Or the streams. They, they keep filling up the sea, but the sea's never full. Evaporation keeps happening, and the, the rain keeps coming. Welcome to Scotland. And, uh, and yet the seas never seem to fill up, just going round and round. And do you know what? That's what our experience is like. We're never satisfied. Uh, verse 8, all things are, are wearisome. More than one can say, the eye has, uh, never has enough of seeing, nor the ear full of hearing. We're forever looking ahead. We're forever thinking, well, this next thing is going to make me satisfied. This next thing is going to work. Uh, this new house, this new job, this uh, new career, this new relationship, maybe a new body if I'll have some surgery. Uh, but after all the initial excitement is passed, it never succeeds. It never fulfills. It never satisfies. We become bored of it. No, it doesn't do it. I need to listen to something else. I need to see something else. I need to have something else. I need to be with somebody else. It goes on and on in endless repetition. No gain from all this business, says the writer to the Ecclesiastes. And, and there's nothing that is truly new, he says. Um, uh, verse 10, is there anything of which one can say, look, there's something new? He says, no, it was already there long ago, here before our time. Apparently it takes the same amount of time to travel across uh, central London uh, today as it did when you had a horse and a cart. Fantastic. Uh, and there's no remembrance. Verse 11 no one remembers the former generations. Even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Here's a harsh truth, but from 100 years from now, basically most people here, no one's going to remember you. Um, you probably know the name of your grandparents. Do you know the names of your grandparents' parents? Most of you don't. You don't. They're your family. You don't remember them. They're gone. This is what life is like. Frustration. Toil. Labor. No gain. There's nothing new. And no one remembers you. Well, what a cheery Sunday to come to church. <laughs> but let's be honest. That, that word frustration is a great summary of the message of Ecclesiastes and the summary of our experience. Look at... Um, uh, verse 14 of Ecclesiastes chapter 1. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. Now why? Why is life like this? Why is it crooked and can't be straightened? Why is it, what is lacking? Why is it never satisfying? Why is it fractured like this? Well, Romans 8 verse 20 tells us that God has subjected the world to frustration. God has done it. Now some of you might be thinking, oh, I knew it. God's the problem. God's the problem. But we need to understand why God has subjected the world to frustration. Um, turn with me back to Genesis chapter 
3. Genesis chapter 3. Uh, If you look at verse uh, 17, this is God speaking to Adam. Um, Adam and Eve put in this perfect garden. Uh, They were in harmonious relationship with each other, with creation, a beautiful garden. They were in relationship with God. Uh, And then God says, you know, you can eat anything you want, but there's one tree you can't eat of. And um, chapter 3 tells us how they basically... um, disobeyed that one command of God and they chose to separate themselves from the God who created them. And then this is what God says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. Because you listened to your wife, he says to Adam, and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it. All the days of your life, it will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam and Eve, the pinnacle of God's creation when they chose to separate themselves from God and reject God's words, cutting themselves off from God, that had a profound impact on the whole of creation. They're the pinnacle of creation, and their rebellion affects the whole of creation. And so the ground is cursed. Work and toil and sweat to get bread from the ground, which much more readily produces thorns, and thistles and the whole of existence is a wearying one until we as moist dust kind of basically dry out and return to the dust the Bible says that God has put frustration in this world because we have rebelled against God now I want you to consider that as the Romans puts it the kindness and the severity of God There is severity in being in a world that is frustrated, broken, fractured, where we see pain and toil and thistles and disease and decay and death. And yet, when you consider the kindness of God, because when our first parents chose to reject the God who gives them life, God could have just wrapped the whole thing up. He could have said, well, that's it. It's all going in the rubbish bin. It's all over. But actually, God in his kindness didn't do that. God chose an amazing plan where he was going to redeem a world that was rebelling against him. And what God did, instead of just stopping the whole thing, wrapping up the whole of uh, reality and throwing it in the dustbin, he actually just put frustration into it rather than totally wiping it out. And so we live in a world where we still um, experience the privilege of life. But God gives us a taste of what it is to be separated from him, the living God. 
in chapter, Romans chapter 8, verse 21, it, t- it talks about the fact that we're all subject to decay. Uh, There is this amazing cycle, isn't it? We rejoice at conception, birth, and growth, but then what surely follows it is is decay, death, and decomposition. And we're living in a world where we're being constantly reminded we do not have an independent life apart from God. Uh, We're like my... um, I've got a drill at home with a battery charger. You know, and the, and, and, and the drill can think, hey, I've got life on my own. I'm living my own thing. I can drill, drill, drill. But of course, it's running out of charge and uh, disconnected from the charger. It's not going to keep going. That's us. We have chosen to separate ourselves from the living God, rebel against him. And God in his kindness hasn't just said, that's it but has led us to keep living in a world, but it's a frustrated world. It's a world where uh, there is still thistles and thorns, where we experience disease and death, where there are hurricanes, where there is this chaos and frustration in the world as God allows us to pursue our sinful, rebellious choices and we end up hurting each other. God God hands us over to what we desire, life apart from him, a life apart from his goodness and his grace. And so we experience a broken, fractured, painful, frustrating world. Turn back to Romans chapter 8. Because... That's just so depressing, isn't it? But I want you to see two words that are just wonderfully transforming in Romans 8, verse 20. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. Why is he allowed it to keep rolling on in this frustrated state? He's done it in hope. God in his grace has come to redeem a broken, fractured world. What is the future that God intends? Well, go on in verse 20. If, if, if the past was frustration, look what the future is. That the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Well, this is why we sing joyful songs. This is why Christians aren't a morose bunch to hang out with. Um, we have a very honest, clear-eyed view of the difficulties and the mess of this world. But we know that this God is both severe but very kind, very gracious. And God has subjected this world's frustration in hope. And what's this hope? Well, it's, it's, it's the word liberation. We're going to be liberated from something to something. We're going to be liberated from this bondage to decay. 
you know, all of us are experiencing this bondage to decay. I'm, I'm, I'm heading towards 50, and, and bits of my body aren't working like they used to. I don't think I'm that old. Things are graying. I've got glasses. I won't go into all my medical problems. It's just not helpful. It's not edifying. But you, you all are, exp- if you're over 18, you're dying. You know that, don't you? You're basically growing till about 18. After 18, things are starting to die. But God wants to say to you, you can't fix this world. It's not fixable. You're right. But he has come to fix this world through the gospel of his son. And he's come to liberate us from this bondage to decay into what? Into the, uh, the freedom and the glory of the children of God. Now, really, we kind of need to unpack the whole of Romans, but we just don't have the time to do that. But I want you to consider Jesus. You see, Jesus is God's son. And here's God's amazing kindness and grace to us. He sent his son in the world to bring about this liberation from from bondage to decay into glory. There wasn't a diseased person that Jesus didn't meet who he couldn't heal. Read about his life. Extraordinary. Blind people can see. Deaf people are made to hear. People with leprosy, he touches them. They're unclean. He touches them, and they become clean and whole, and their skin is is recreated and brand new, and all the leprosy is gone. Jesus had a habit of of gate-crashing funerals and ruining it for the undertakers. There's two funerals that you read about Jesus going to, and he ruined both of them because both the people came alive again. This is what Jesus, as God's Son, has come into the world to do, to liberate a world that is in bondage, to decay, to, 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 to make the diseased whole, to, to make the dead alive. And in these miracles, he is pointing us forward to the world that is to come. This is the world that God has promised will come. A world that is liberated from all bondage to decay. A world that uh, doesn't have thorns and thistles, where the ground is no longer cursed, where there is no longer sin that frustrates and spoils relationships between human beings, uh, that takes away the, the, the pain of relating to this creation, that, that because there's going to be a, a brand new restored relationship with the living God. Uh, we read this magnificent passage uh, in uh, Christmas time from Isaiah 11, this wonderful pictorial language of the world that is to come. The wolf will live with the lamb, and the lamb still lives. That's the point. The leopard will lie down with the goat. 
The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The book of Revelation uh, describes this, this world to come as a wedding day. Who doesn't love a wedding? The holy city uh, coming out of heaven, the new Jerusalem coming down, uh, prepared as a bride dress for her husband. The, the children of God, those who've turned and trusted Christ and become part of the family of God, perfected, no longer sinful, glorified, coming down. Uh, heaven is not this ethereal, spiritual sort of it's a real physical place. Comes down upon earth. We're looking forward to a, a new world, a new heavens and a new earth with new transformed bodies like the resurrection body of Jesus Christ. I don't know where Andy Prime got this from, but I think I heard Andy Prime say this first, but a world where there are no hankies, no hospitals and no hearses. Where God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. That's what Jesus came to bring about. How did he do it? Well, he came into this world as a, as a real flesh and blood human being. How you deal with the question of suffering is a very deep question. Everybody's wrestling with it. But I think Christianity is something very unique to say, and that is to say that the God who made it isn't remote from suffering, but he himself has entered into this world through his son Jesus and knows what it is to suffer. Jesus knows what it is to be homeless. He knows what it is to have been a refugee. He knows what it is to be uh, even sort of despised by his family. He knows what it is to be tired and hungry. He knows what it is to be chased by those who are trying to kill him. He knows what it is to, to see loved ones die and weep at their graveside. And he himself bears the curse for us. It is no random act that what did they put on his head when they mocked him? They put a crown of thorns and he was crucified on a cross. He bears the curse, thorns and thistles. He is on the cross dying to pay the price for our rebellion sin. We messed up this world. We're the ones who stuffed it up. And yet God and his grace has come in his son to bear the punishment for our rebellion, our sin. And there with a crown of thorns, crucified upon a cross, he is a sin offering. He dies in the place of sinners. So that one day, he who died and was raised to new life. The picture of the new heavens to come, the resurrection life. That is the glory of the children of God. If you will come today and you will say sorry for your rebellion and your sin, and if you will put your trust in Jesus Christ and say, I, I recognize that you died for me, would you forgive me? 
Father, would you forgive me because I'm trusting your son who died in my place? If you'll do that today, my friends, you become part of the children of God. And what he promises is that you're destined for glory. You're destined for a day where you'll be liberated from bondage to decay. And in fact, you know what? The whole of creation cannot wait for the children of God to be revealed. Just as our sin put frustration into creation, our liberation, uh, the, the, the children of God restored to resurrected bodies and the new heavens and the earth, the planet can't wait for it because the day that the children are seen in glory, then that means the whole of creation will be seen in glory. That's what Romans 8 is telling us. He subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. Have you come to Christ? Have you trusted him? Why not do it today? What's the present experience of this world? Well, it's in verses 22 to 25. The past... Frustration, the future, liberation, the experience now, groaning. <laughs> Verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning. Isn't that what life feels like? Isn't that what your body feels like? My Christian friends, we're still groaning, are we not? Uh, there are some people who will say, oh, come to Jesus and, and you'll be healthy and wealthy and everything's going to be great. They're lying to you. That's not going to happen right now. It's definitely going to happen. It's definitely coming. Now, our experience now, according to Romans chapter 8, is that we are, we are groaning. But we're groaning not sort of uh, with depression we're groaning not as, you know, like there's no hope, there's, 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 we're stuffed, there's nothing, you know. We're not groaning like, we're groaning like a, a pregnant woman groans. And they groan. I've seen four of them. Four babies coming out. It is that groaning, knowing that the pain and the frustration is going somewhere. There's new life coming. There's a new world coming. There's a new future coming for all who are the children of God. There's glory ahead for all who've trusted Christ. It is that sort of groaning. And knowing that that is the future, then we can groan and wait patiently. Verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly. You see, there is a change for the Christian. And God comes as we trust Christ. He comes into our lives by his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is described here as the first fruits. I mean, they're starting to harvest out there. And the first sheaf of, uh, of the harvest is a promise of the whole harvest that's coming in. And he puts his Holy Spirit within us. And he begins to change and transform us from the inside. And people who had no hope, they come to Christ and they find their lives are turned around. Didn't you just hear Gattis say that this morning? It's not just Gattis. There are actually hundreds and thousands of people, millions of people in this world who can testify to this exact reality. We're groaning because we're still aging. We still get disease. We still have physical and mental problems. 
we're groaning because we're struggling with the reality that we still sometimes uh, we know how we'd like to be and how we'd like to speak and still we fall short of it. We struggle with our sinful nature. We are groaning because we know we're still in a broken world. We still experience this pain and struggle. Work still feels like toil to most of us. But this groaning now is one with expectancy. A spirit-inspired hope. We know deep down we are the children of God. We cry, Abba, Father. There's a time when we didn't know God as Father, but the Spirit comes with us and we cry, Abba, Father. We know we're trusting a loving Dad. And we're trusting Him knowing that this promise of a redeemed body, a redeemed resurrection body, is to come. Verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we are saved. So the fourth response from people out there was, we can't fix it. And actually the overwhelming sense is, and there's no hope. And I want to say to response from, from God's word, you're right, you can't fix it, but you know what? There is hope. Look at Jesus. Everything he did in his life promises the reality of what is to come. And look at his death. He, he bears the curse for us. There's no need for you to come under the ultimate eternal judgment of God. If you will trust him and ask him to forgive you, he'll make you right. He'll put his Holy Spirit in you who is a guarantee of this future liberation. We're on a journey from frustration to liberation. I know which direction I want to go. And we groan with expectancy now, knowing that that is the reality to come. My friends, it is the most glorious gospel it's the only hope there is. Are you trusting Christ today? Maybe you've got questions. Well, do you know what? We, we've got people who'd love to answer your questions. We, we've got a group called Glad You Asked that meets on Thursday night. Ask any questions that you've got. You can come along on Thursday night. Um, maybe you want to trust Christ today. Well, we have a, a team of guys who are willing to pray with folk here and uh, come down the front and they would be glad to spend time hearing your story. Whatever you would like to pray about today, they'll pray with you. But maybe you want to trust Christ today. Why don't you come down and talk to them today? I'll be at the back uh, once I've been uh, changed from being baptized for about 10 minutes. And I'll be happy to chat to you myself. I don't know about you, but I want to worship this great God. Who gives us such hope. Whether life is difficult or life is great, we can say, bless the Lord's